Welcome to 4125, the people of Holy Cross Lutheran Church. My name is Pastor Jeffrey, and I'm one of the pastors here. The purpose of this podcast is so that the people of Holy Cross Lutheran Church can get to know one another better. But allow me to begin with a story about my dad. My dad was a collector. He collected a bunch of different things. There was really no rhyme or reason to the things that he collected. If he liked it, he just collected it. And so one of the things that he began to collect was beer cans. It started with a can of Gillies. This beer was named after a country western star named Mickey Gilly. I don't know any of the songs that he sang or why he had a beer named after him, but that was the first can in my dad's collection. I remember dad cracked the top off of that beer can, drank it, and then he saved the can. One can became two cans, and then two cans became three cans, and the collection grew. Then I remember when he brought a different can home, and he asked me to go out into the garage and grab him a hammer and a nail. And he was clear. He, he needed it to be a small nail. That was confusing to me, but I obeyed. And so I watched dad sit down at the dining room table, turn the can upside down, and then he pierced the bottom of the can with that nail. He drained the beer into a glass. He drank it, but he saved the can. Somewhere he had learned that the can would be more valuable if the top wasn't cracked open. Several months went by, and then he brought home a six-pack of 4077th Mash beer. MASH was a sitcom on television when I was a kid, and they came out with their own beer. It was a camouflaged beer can, and so I remember heading to the garage to grab the hammer and the small nail, but Dad explained to me that he wasn't going to open these cans at all. This would be the first can that my dad collected where the beer would remain inside the can. Eventually, Dad was running out of space, to store his beer cans, and so he started to build custom shelves. My dad was a woodworker, so he built his own shelves and then hung them in the garage. He, now at this point, had hundreds of beer cans, empty ones, full ones, rusty ones, valuable cans, common cans. So why am I telling you all this? When I was a teenager in Farmington, Missouri, my grandpa was in a nursing home in Perryville. But my grandma still lived on the family farm in Altenburg. She couldn't take care of the whole farm by herself, so my dad and I on Saturdays would drive down to grandma's and mow the lawn, feed the chickens, gather the eggs, take care of her garden. I remember hoeing weeds in the garden on a hot Missouri Saturday The sun was blazing, and I looked up to see my grandma walking toward my dad and me. In her hands, she was carrying two cans of Pabst Blue Ribbon beers. She handed one to dad, and then she handed one to me, which I thought was really strange since I was only 13 or 14 years old at the time. She spoke to dad about the radishes for a moment, and then she walked back into the house And Dad and I just stood there looking at each other, he on one side of the garden and I on the other. And finally, after a few moments, he said, Okay, you can drink that, but not all of it. (laughs) All right, so I cracked the beer open, took a few sips, 
And honestly, I thought it tasted terrible. And so I gave the rest to my dad. Well, eventually, my sister and I had to put my parents into a nursing home too. And while she and I were cleaning out the house, getting it ready for sale, my sister and I stood in the garage and we said, what are we going to do with all of these beer cans? She didn't want anything to do with them. So I picked out a few that I thought were interesting and I started to recycle the rest. I was almost done clearing off one of the shelves and in the far right hand corner on the very top shelf was an old Pabst Blue Ribbon can. And there was something on the inside of the can and it was a rolled up note. And after a few moments of shaking the can, the note fell into my hand and the note read, Jeff's first beer. (laughs) Today's guest on the 4125 owns his own store called Fermentations right here in Colorado Springs. What is Fermentations? It's a store where you can buy the supplies to make your own beer and wine. Meet my friend, Tim Christensen. Hello, I am here with Tim and Brenda Christensen. Now, you might not hear from Brenda much today, but you'll hear from Tim. Uh, They go to the 8 o'clock worship service. I've known Tim and Brenda for 15 years now, and... I had the privilege of hanging out at fermentations with them. Uh, We spent some time here uh, making our own wine. And to tell you the truth, the idea of the podcast literally started right here in their store because I thought Tim and Brenda were so cool and, and so neat and they had such a great story. And I wondered how many people at Holy Cross really knew the story. And that's where the idea of the podcast came along. And so now it's taken me 11 episodes to actually sit down with my friends and uh, let them tell you their story. So, Tim, I'll start with you. Uh, Have you always lived in Colorado? We moved to Colorado Springs in 1991. I oversaw construction of the federal penitentiaries down there in Florence, Colorado for the first five years we were here. And I worked for an architecture company as a construction administrator. And that was my job, overseeing public buildings like schools and courthouses and police facilities and jails and prisons and a little bit of everything. So anyway, we moved here um, in 91, and our youngest son, Nick, was born in 93. And that's we had tried a lot of different Lutheran churches around town before we tried Holy Cross Lutheran Church too and our oldest son said this feels like the church we went to in Scottsdale so uh, we started going there and uh, when Nick was born in 93 he was baptized there and we became members back then. I asked you this question when we were making our wine Um, how does one get from architecture in prisons to owning their own wine and beer making store? Well that I'll blame on Jeff and Lori Fonts because they started a marriage ministry at our church called Couples First, and we were always looking for something social to do away from the church once a month, and we had our Bible study at the church once a month, and we would go hiking and bowling and dinner out and various activities socially with the group of couples, and one of the people, one of the couples told us about a place in town where you could make your own wine, 
So we started doing that in 2004 as a group of couples, and uh, it started. It just grew. We enjoyed it so much. We would share wine. We would make wine together, bottle wine together, and then that guy moved his store to a far end of town and became a brewery. And uh, we started making it at our house with our friends instead, and it grew and grew until now. This is what we do every day. Do Jeff and Lori Fonts know that this is their fault? Oh yeah, I've told them that several times. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm going to give you an idea of the setting where Tim and I are right now. We're in the kind of the back of their store. Um, if you ever come into their store, and I hope that you will, the front part of the store feels like a a grocery store almost where where they sell kits of wine and beer but as you make your way deeper into the store the back of their store almost feels like uh, an apartment where they've got couches here they've got refrigerators here they've got a dining table here they've got a small kitchen over here and it when you when you come in and get to know tim and brenda yes you do the store stuff but you almost it's almost like being invited into their home back here in the store, and this just feels so comfortable. Was that always part of the design of this store? It, it really was. This is our second location. Our first location was one-third the size of this, but we still had the little living room area with the counter and cou- the soft chairs, and we're here six days a week. We need a place to relax and have lunch, and and we're wor- working until 7 p.m., so we'll have dinner here often, which is why we have a place to reheat food or we have a little toaster oven for baking things. And um, it, we wanted it to feel like home. The name Home Winemaking Center is something that comes from the federal law, which says you're, we're an extension of your home. You can make wine and beer in your house. You can make it in a place like this as an extension of your home. And we're, like Jeffrey said, we're a grocery store. We sell grape juice and yeast and sugar and grain and cleansers and sanitizers and everything you need, uh, which are food products, and uh, you can do it here or at your house, either one. And so when somebody, and, and I really I really encourage you to do this, people of Holy Cross, come visit uh, Fermentations, and if somebody were to come in the front door like we did uh, in February, you come in the front door, what's... What's the beginning process, and, and then what's the final product? What, uh, what happens? Well, we show people around. We welcome in, them into our place, much like you would welcome somebody into your home. We show them the retail side. We show them the winemaking side. Uh, we have a large area where people can use our equipment under our guidance to make their own wine. We have a classroom in the back where I teach people how to brew beer. We're coming up on around 600 beer-making lessons and around 35, 3,600 wine-making lessons that we've done in the last nine years. We're getting close to celebrating our ninth anniversary on July 15th of this year since we opened our store. So we show them around, and it, it's pretty much self-selling. We don't. There's no pressure. Uh, we all we do is show people what we offer, and they get excited and they they jump in. And then you, I, I remember we took some stuff out of this box and then we squeezed gr- grape skins. <laughs> grape skins and then it sits for a, a week and then we came back in a couple weeks later and then we did different processes. I, I think my favorite process was the bottling process. 
That's the most fun. The winemaking part on the first day is about 30 minutes worth of time where we explain the whole process of what you are going to do, what each ingredient does, what its purpose is, and how yeast works. A lot of people don't understand how yeast operates. So we explain all that on day one, and then every two weeks there's another step, short ones on the second, third, and fourth steps of 10, 15 minutes apiece. And then the bottling is the most fun, really. It's about an hour to hour and a half to wash your clean, you know, clean your new bottles, fill them with your wine, cork them, put on your labels and your shrink tops, and you take your wine home at the end of the sixth to the eighth week, generally eight weeks total. And you get to design your own labels. You get to pick the color of the shrink. Uh, it, it's it's just so fun. Uh, we, we had a we had a really fun time doing it, and anticipate coming back again. So you've done more beer kits than you have wine kits. More more wine kits than beer kits. About six or seven to one wine over beer. Okay. All right. Because beer takes longer. It you take three hours to brew a batch of beer. And I can only do two of those at a time because of the potential danger of boiling liquid. So um, I watch that very carefully, and we'll only do them certain times of the day, of the week. Okay, la- last last set set of questions. One time we were here and we were wrapping up one of our steps, and we were sitting here at the dining room table, and the store was closed. Do you remember this story that I was telling you about the the door the the doors? W- the store was closed, but the doors were not locked. And then people started walking in, and, and I started to feel bad for the two of you, embarrassed for the two of you, because I thought, oh, no, they forgot to lock the doors, and they're closed, and now people are coming in, and they're going to have to somehow tell the people that they're closed and they need to leave. And the opposite happened. People started coming into the store when the place was closed, and, and these these are just friends of yours that you've made acquaintances with. Right. Can you describe to me what it's been like just to have a place where people just are welcome and they come and they they feel home here? And what type of relationships have you developed because of the business? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, Friendships, like you say, have been so bountiful for us. In my old job, we had three classes of friends, if you will. We had parents of the children that went to school with our kids we had our church family and we had people I worked with and so I might be taking care of six seven clients at a time roughly now we've got thousands of clients and we run into people we know from this business all over town everywhere we go we find somebody that knows us or we know them from what we do but um, the after hours thing when the way the liquor board in explain it to me is that after hours as a private event there are no rules so when we're close to the public and we're back here in a private area we can have a glass of wine in our private area it's not a problem and I'm not I don't offer samples of wine to entice people to buy because that's against the rules mm-hmm. we uh, I, t- I like to tell a story when we first opened our store or a few months before we were sitting at Holy Cross on a Sunday morning three Sundays in a row and having second thoughts about is this the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do to open this business? And three Sundays in a row, the, either the Bible verses or the sermon was about vineyards and wine. And Jesus made wine at Cana wedding. And I looked at Brendan and I said, well, I guess it must be okay. 
So we've been doing this ever since, and we've just uh, just been rewarded by friendship so much. It's been great. Yeah, so the, the last thing I'll say is the sign on the front of the store says fermentations. Uh, they're a grocery store, uh, and they sell juice, and they sell yeast. But in my opinion, having spent some time here, this is a place that cultivates friendships and relationships, and people happen to make wine and beer in the process. Would you not agree, Tim? That's a good, good way to look at it. That's true. And wine is for sharing. We share wine with family, with friends. We've always done that. Even before we overopened our store, when we were part of Couples First, I would take a bottle of wine to one of my clients, and I'd say, here, I'd like you to have a bottle of wine that I made. And they, they'd say, oh, really? You made this? Tell me about that. And it gave us something to talk about that wasn't business-related. It wasn't trying to convince them to hire my company. They reciprocated with jars of salsa and jars of jelly and everything that they had made themselves with their own hobbies. And that's really what it is. It's a hobby. So um, it, it is a very social thing to do. And sharing a glass of wine is a great way to get to know people. Yeah, Friends, uh, come to fermentations. Just, just come in and check it out first and, and just see what they're offering and then uh and then schedule something i'm telling you if you if you go through the process that that we went through where we had the chance to make our own wine you will love it you will enjoy it and and you'll want to do it over and over again so tim thanks for letting me spend this time with you brenda is off helping customers right now (laughs) so all right thanks again god's blessings to you There was one point in the interview that caught my attention when Tim said that people don't really know how yeast works. And and he was right. I I don't know how yeast works. And so I, I began to look it up on the computer and I found this small paragraph. It said that yeasts are small, single celled organisms that feed off of simple sugars, breaking them down into carbon dioxide, alcohol, flavor molecules and energy this process is referred to as fermentation. Uh, I've always known that yeast was a thing. Uh, We have packets of yeast in our baking cabinet, but I didn't really know how it works. And when I think about the time when we made wine, we poured juices into a bottle, we put yeast in, we added sugars. And so what I'm now learning is that yeasts were breaking down the sugars and and turning them into alcohol and flavor and energy. And, and, and the other thing that happened was we gave it time. We, we gave it several weeks for the yeast to do its work and to create the alcohol and the, and the flavor and the energy in this bottle of wine. Well, then that made me think about the Bible because Jesus often talked about the Pharisees and the Sadducees as being yeast. Um, they worked under the surface. They worked covertly in a way. Um, so when you put yeast into a, a baking uh, process, y- you know you don't need a lot for it to have a huge effect on the dough. And the Pharisees were functioning in that same way. They were they were just working under the surface in the community. But they were having a huge effect on the community, making them believe that their salvation was rooted in obedience to the law. And, and they were in contrast 
to the work that Jesus came to do and the ministry that Jesus came to do. He he longed to point people to salvation to his father through grace, uh, but the Pharisees pointed to obedience. And so that got me thinking. Um, there, there's this section of scripture in, in Mark chapter 8 when, I'll begin with verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus. That, that was typical of them. They were seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And Jesus left the Pharisees, got into the boat, and went to the other side. Now in verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread with them. They only had one loaf in the boat. And so you can just imagine the disciples, they're so worried about the fact that they don't have enough bread to eat. It's like they've completely forgotten about the times when Jesus fed the 5,000 and fed the 4,000. And and having forgotten that, now they're just worried about what they're going to eat. And they're worried about the amount of bread that they brought with them. And so then Jesus uses that teaching moment to say, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. (laughs) So Jesus is trying to make a point that you got to be careful about the Pharisees and the way they're trying to needle the law into the gospel. But they had missed the point. They, They thought they were really only thinking about their stomachs. And so usually every time in scripture when, when we, we talk about yeast, it's usually in the negative context. But that got me thinking, why, why couldn't we as Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, begin to think about yeast in a positive way? So in the same way, why can't we work in small, seemingly insignificant ways to begin to radiate the gospel in the communities where we live. I'm not asking you to go out and build a soapbox and get a bullhorn and stand on a corner and scream Jesus at everyone that drives by. What I'm wondering is if, like yeast, we can begin to break down some of the walls in our neighborhoods and and we can begin to serve our neighbor in little ways. Um, helping them mow their lawn or shoveling their sidewalk or or just going over to them and building a relationship with a friendship with them. And then over time, allowing those little acts of service and love to then have an impact on the gospel in the communities where we live. Now, that's what I'm wondering. That's the stuff that I've been thinking about lately. Could yeast be a good thing, encouraging us to do good in the places where we live? Thanks for listening to 4125, The People of Holy Cross. God's blessings to you and to your entire family. Goodbye. Hi, Garrett. Hi. Okay, so you are super excited because you did something outside. What did you do? Pull down a tree all the way down to the ground. You pulled a tree all the way down to the ground? Yeah. Wow, you must really be strong. Yeah.
Maybe my, maybe my big brother can't do that. Your big, your big brother can't do that. Who's the strongest person you know? I don't know. Sure you do. Who's the strongest person you know? Me. No, 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 no. Who's the strongest person? What? Daddy. Is your daddy the strongest person you know? Yeah. All right. That's the correct answer. Good job. I love you. If we pull down a tree together, it'll bust out the ground. If you and I pulled a tree down together, we would bust it out of the ground. Yeah. Why would we want to do that? Well, so maybe we could plant it again. We could plant it again. I love you. Yeah. I love you too.